do 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 Heard it from a friend of mine. Come on, guys, sing along. You looking for a good time? Don't no? we have intro music? Yeah, this is part of it. It's being played right now. You can't hear it. But Who there are the times in chew wine. Uh, the shower beers. The shower right, beers. Local Tallahassee band. Right oh, okay. Hi, Josh. Hi, Chris. How you guys doing? Great. <laughs> I was doing better, but yeah. Now that we're talking FSU. <laughs> uh, welcome to those 24-7s on the bench podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. I would like to promise it's the last time I sing on this podcast, but I think we all know that that probably won't happen. All right, big week coming up for Florida State. Big week, uh, and we have a few things to get to. One, the Virginia game, and, and I think more. I want us, fellas, to take a, a broader look at, at this game and what it means, a, a win or a loss for Florida State, because I'm not really super interested in the nitty-gritty uh, X and O analysis of this game. I'm not, admittedly, I'm not, and I don't think a lot of our listeners are, too. This is more about Florida State kind of handling its business and and contextually like whether Willie Taggart can can write the ship right now. FSU's one and one heading into a game against a top 25 team on the road. Um, you don't want to go one and two for, for a third year in a row if you're a Florida State fan. So so we'll talk a little bit about that. There it was a uh, a pretty big uh, pretty big development yesterday with Jim Levitt being brought on to FSU staff as a defensive uh, analyst, quality control type of role. We're going to get into that as well. But let's start, fellas, with UVA game coming up. That's on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Or sorry, 7.30 p.m. Uh, I'm on it. I'm I on it. I moved the kick up on it. I'm, I'm, I just don't want to be working until like 3 a.m. is pretty much what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm hoping for. So with this game, I'm just going to throw it to you guys this way. Uh, what would a win mean for Florida State? And what would a loss mean big picture? Josh, I'll start with you. Oh. Oh, no, Josh. Josh. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so what it would mean, a win would mean that this program is back on track to potentially be an eight-win program. Um, a win would mean Willie Taggart really uh, put some some goodwill toward his tenure here. Uh, it would be a big win. It would be a, you know a, a big road win within the conference. They start conference play one and zero, oh, and they are now two and you know two and one. Um, a much bigger dynamic than being one and two, especially if you're Florida State coming off of the five and seven season. What does a loss mean? Whew. It's not going to be pretty. Um, a loss brings a lot more questions, especially, like you said, with the move of bringing on Jim Levitt. Because I assume, look, if they lose, offense hasn't been a problem to this point. We haven't watched the game yet, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say if they do lose, it's going to be because of the defense. Now, you brought on Jim Levitt. The seat under Harlan Barnett is only going to get hotter with a loss. Willie Taggart's seat is only going to get hotter with a loss. It seems like each week there's some sort of uh, some sort of development going on with this program. I can't imagine I, it. Hydrate gate, hydrate gate, backwards gate, all sorts of gates, Josh. Yeah, I know. You know, they're bringing on former head coaches during the middle of the season. Um, they need a win here. So let's just let's just leave it at that. A loss. We know what direction this this is going to take us if they lose. Um, but a win, a win does does big things for Willie Taggart to to save this program. I have a very macro view on this game. FSU is one and four in their last five road games dating back to last season, and truthfully, those struggles on the road even go back to 2017 before Willie got here. So I think for FSU, it's about going on the road and showing that they can compete on the road. Something they didn't do very well at all last year. The only win they earned on the road last year is that Louisville game. And Louisville, to some degree, blew that game with some really poor decisions down the stretch. Still, FSU had to make plays to do it. A loss, 
uh, it depends on how they lose, in my opinion. If they lose in a competitive game and Virginia just gets the better of them, yeah, it stinks. It'll be one and two for the third straight year, and people will be disappointed, and it's not going to put out any fires. But if they're competitive and they show that they're willing to go out there and do what needs to be done and they make an effort, it's much different to me than if they go out there and they roll over and get slaughtered and get killed on the edge by a guy like Bryce Perkins and they're not competitive. So a loss can mean a lot of different things. Any type of loss, people are still going to be angry and not happy. It's just what a fan base is at this point. But I think, for me, it ranges a great deal. Going on the road for FSU is not something they've been good at. So I expect them to lose simply because numbers say they have lost recently in these situations. But there's different ways to lose. If they're competitive, it's much different than if they get rolled. Josh, do you, do you think if this team comes out, to Chris's point, like if, if FSU comes out, and let's say they lose a, a heartbreaker, but they're, they're competitive, guys are playing hard, and you just get a couple unlucky bounces or – or officiating is poor, or something like that. If FSU shows it's pound for pound as good as Virginia, if not better, and just loses narrowly, like do you think that that takes some of the pressure off of? Off you know, of I always hear fans talking about this before games. You know, oh, all we got to do is go out, and as long as it's a hard-fought game, and even if we might lose, it's it doesn't mean as much. How come I've never been on the message boards after any loss, any loss whatsoever, <laughs> where people are just okay with the performance because they played hard and they, it was, you know, maybe some penalties, like there's going to be a meltdown no matter what. No, at this point, I think wins matter. Um, in the, in in, like Chris likes to say from the macro perception, I mean, this is still Virginia. This is still Florida state. These are games that they should be able to go through their schedule and count as wins. I know the, the program's in a little bit different spot right now, but this game needs to be won. If it's a loss, it's a loss. It's a loss. Like I, I'm not, I'm not looking at it any differently, and I don't think fans will either. Yeah, but my point more so was that when they've won on the road recently, which I'm talking over the last three years, I'm thinking Wake Forest and Duke back in 2017. Those were touchdown games. They mm-hmm. won by seven, and then the Louisville game last year where they won by less than a possession. But the losses have been. 35 to three at BC back in 2017. And then last year you got Notre Dame 42, 13, mm-hmm. uh, even NC state where FSU was somewhat competitive last year, they lost by 19. So to me, it's, it's not, I'm not yeah. counting numbers. It's not solely the margin, but can FSU go on the road and play a good football game? Like to me, that's the first thing I want to see before win or loss. Can they play a good football game? And people are always going to freak after a loss. It's just how it kind of works in this fan base at this point. But to me, FSU needs to go to Virginia and play a good football game. It would be great if they won. If they lose a good football game, people are going to be unhappy. But it might be a building block to being better when they hit the road again. I'm not going to say Clemson because Clemson's going to beat them. But wait first on the 19th of October or BC in early November or even Florida at the end of the year. It's a building block to those moments. But if they go on the road and they lose in that BC fashion or Louisville years ago, 63-20 kind of fashion, then, you know, the tent's getting folded up and we're done here. And maybe beyond just, like, like fan perception, uh, which, which matters, of course, uh, when, when you're trying to, trying to see, you know, attendance and, and how people are investing into the program emotionally, financially, all that stuff matters. But for Willie, and this is maybe where, you know, a win or a loss, I guess it depends how those things look. I mean, I think a win, no matter what, is awesome that's a catalyst potentially to start moving in the right direction and you can get guys to start buying in, uh, depending on how the loss looks. Uh, one thing to weigh is like whether Willie Taggart has 
the locker room or not. Uh, and and Willie spoke to Jeff Cameron on the on the Jeff Cameron show. He's been on the podcast before uh, earlier in the week, and Jeff asked him pretty straight up uh, whether he thinks Willie still has his still has a pulse of the team. And, and Willie said, yeah, I think I do. And of course, I, I think he has to answer that way no matter what, right? I do think that that's what Willie has to say. But if we're looking at this game and how Florida State performs, win or lose, I think that it's imperative for you to leave Charlottesville with some semblance of a direction. So that's to Chris's point. Like if you can show like, okay, if it's a close a close game uh, and these guys show some, some sort of growth, like are there players that you can keep building around and, and finding momentum and, and finding something to kind of cling to. I do think that gets less and less every single week though. And with every single loss or, or after this past week, a narrow win, uh, you start losing those guys more and more. That's one thing we've, we've heard is that Willie's struggling to get his message through. Uh, so to me, I think that's an important kind of equation. It's like, okay, a win yeah. allows that message to, to sink in a loss, depending on how it looks is, is dangerous. And I think you will be able to tell this over the length of the season. Like, yeah, you're right. If they, if they go and they show improvement against Virginia, but still lose, but it helps them win the games like NC state, wake forest, Syracuse that are going to ultimately decide their fate on whether or not they make a bowl this year. So if it helps in that, then yes, you guys are right. I'm just saying on the overall picture of where fans truly want this program to be, uh, I think it's going to take a win over Virginia to kind of turn that sentiment. But yeah, I agree with you guys takes. All right, so uh, a few things here, delving into the game a little bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, well, let's start off, Chris. You wrote about the depth chart today. Uh, this is one thing that was a talking point all week, and that was whether there would be repercussions for guys playing selfish football or undisciplined football or or just not very good football in general. And we've seen that in some instances. You know, Logan Tyler, and, and he was, uh, there was a report yesterday in the Tallahassee Democrat that, that he was involved in, uh, an investigation for DUI, but but that was a heavily redacted police report and and still seems like that's pending. So I don't want to get too much into that, but he's suspended. Levante Taylor was suspended last week for for not handling his business off the field. We don't have details on what that was yet, but but then that brings us to Dontavious Jackson and someone who we said this past week on the on the podcast has made selfish plays and done selfish things two games in a row at critical junctures. Uh, it very much so cost FSU against Boise State nearly cost them against ULM. And I think the frustration for fans is one Don Tavis isn't playing very well right now, uh, but then he's hurting the team in, in crucial moments. And, and then to, to add to that, he was able to go back in after his penalty against, against ULM. So uh, with that in mind, the depth chart shows that Don Tavis Jackson is a co-starter along with Emmett Rice and Jaleel McCray, middle linebacker. Emmett Rice is technically ahead of Don Tavis, but they all have oars on them. Chris, I guess, thoughts on the depth chart? Does that send the right message in your mind? Uh, is that something? I, then the reaction I got from fans was that they it wasn't enough, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on whether that's a message that was sent or not. I think it comes down to the action of what happens on the field Saturday. Um, you can put names on right. paper all day, and you know, with Levante being off it last week and not playing last week, clearly that was message sent. D-Jack remains on it, listed as a co-starter with two other guys. You know, we'll see. Does he take the first snap? How long does he wait to get in the game? If he does something dumb in the game, and I'm not talking making a poor play, I'm talking hurting his team with selfish penalties. Does he get, you know, yanked immediately? And do we see him move on to Rice or McCray? It's going to come down to actions more than words. You know, you can change the depth chart all day, but it comes down to who are you actually going to trust when you roll out on the field on Saturday. And 
with DJAG, I think he's out of chances. You know, they might put him out there and they might entrust him to be the guy they go with at the position. But if he makes them look stupid for that decision, then I think it's up to them at this point where they have to make a point of emphasis using the bench as an example with that young man. Um, Brendan, I have a question to you. We talked about on the last podcast about the, the youth movement, and this is something you and I have discussed. You might write something on it. But for this game specifically, what sort of youth movement do you think we'll see? I know we, we, we didn't see anybody take over full-time as a starter. There were some oars on there. But, you know, snap, snap count. Like, w- what type of snap count do you think these youngsters are going to see in the game? Youngsters? Jesus. Youngsters. Youngsters. Oh, my God. A sign you're an old man now, Josh. So with the snap count and the way that, that playing time is distributed – I think there's always kind of a disconnect from what coaches view versus as the best thing for their program and, and what fans and even media members such as ourselves view is what's best. I think it's easy and sometimes kind of pie in the sky to say, let's just play all the young guys, take your lumps now, uh, just embrace the learning curve. And there is some logic to that. Like Dontavious Jackson is making freshman mistakes as a senior. You might as well let the freshmen get in like Jalil McRae, like Kalen Deloach, like Kevon Glenn guys who are really showing signs of being physical in practice. And, and if they make rookie mistakes, well then so be it. Like that's part of uh, part of the learning curve. And, and at least you have years to correct that. And if you're Willie Taggart, I think you could kind of pitch that long term too, right? Say, Hey, we're playing a lot of young guys. We're, we're getting better. We're moving in this direction. Uh, but realistically, you know, Don Tavis Jackson is still on the depth chart. Like Chris said, it is just a piece of paper and we'll see exactly how that looks. I expect them at rise to probably start on um, on Saturday, but then what the distribution looks like afterwards at that position, I really don't know. I think we'll see a mixture of all three, and hence that's what the depth chart indicates. Uh, but but really, Jaleel McCray plays three snaps against Boise State, and guys, was he even out there and within the within the defense uh, against ULM? I don't recall that. And if he was, he I wasn't there much. Special teams, right, right, but not within. I don't remember him being, and he only had three snaps against Boise State, and he gets a sack on one of three sack or one of three snaps. So. I think Josh, like for, for Julio, like if you get him 15 to 20 snaps, if this is mm-hmm. like a, an 80 or 90 snap game for, for, for UVA, which it may not be, they like to, to really chew up the clock. Uh, that would make me feel better. And I think it would make a lot of fans feel better to say, okay, they're giving this guy a fair shake to see how he does within the context of the game. Uh, the other side of that coin though, man is, you know, Akeem Dent the, is at safety and he's one of those guys who's listed at, at or too with, with Levante Taylor and Cyrus Fagan. So He's a co-starter with with two other guys, and and Akeem showed you exactly what having a freshman can do negatively this past week, where he got a, a penalty on a on a punt return uh, and and hit a guy who had called a fair catch, and it's a young guy trying to make a play and trying to hustle, and I think you take that over a, a stupid unnecessary personal foul penalty where you're just trying to hurt someone after the play, like you take that all day long. Uh, Akeem didn't also seem to have a, an issue in coverage that allowed a touchdown. I can't directly attribute it to him, but, but I guess my point being is there's the lumps that you take on both sides. Yeah, I agree. Um, Chris, I got a question for you. I wanted to see more Carlos Becker. Um, I, I think they're going to get him worked in a little bit more this week. What have you been hearing? What have you been seeing? What's your expectations for Becker against UVA? Well, Becker's currently listed as Hamps' backup. Hamps has actually probably played the best of anybody on the defense other than Marvin Wilson through two games. And he certainly Agreed. created some big plays. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to put Becker in and put Hamps on the bench. Now there's other ways to get him on the field. You could definitely look at that other safety spot, which right now is manned by Fagan and 
Denton Taylor or the other guys there. I think Becker could play there. Um, personally, I'm of the opinion if you're going to be aggressive, Becker has shown that he's capable of coming off the edge. He's been more effective at doing it than Leonard Warner or truthfully either the edge rushers opposite of him and Robinson and Kando. So why not have at least some package subs, some opportunities to put him out there and see if it can continue. You know, is it a one game, one off type thing, or is it a trend that he can keep going throughout the season? But the fact that they kind of went completely away from that in game two and they weren't effective as a defense surprised me. So I do feel like you need to get him out there in some form or fashion. And he's one of a few guys I think they need to get out there more. I think Bernardo Green's a guy that needs to get mm-hmm. more at bats. I think Dennis Briggs is a guy, especially in a game like this one coming up where setting the edge is going to be so vital to your success defensively. I think Dennis Briggs is a guy that you should probably maybe give some at bats in that edge position when you're just trying to, you know, keep Bryce Perkins in the pocket, force him to be a passer, take away the rushing attack, take away at least one side that he can rush to effectively. So, you know, I, I think it's important for FSU to properly use their defensive personnel and they need to start giving some others some at-bats because what they've leaned on heavily through two games has failed them largely. I look at just, Chris just, knee with I the creativity. Kn- I look at him. Uh, two, two things off of Chris, which he made a lot of good points, so this is going to certainly fall short of what he just said. But just to, to add just two little bits of context, Carlos Becker did have a pretty big knee brace on uh, when we saw him warming up this past week. Uh, before the game so i guess I, I do wonder like okay do they think maybe he didn't have quite the explosiveness for whatever the knee issue was uh to use him off the edge just worth noting the other thing with Ronaldo green i'm completely on board with chris that's another guy i should have mentioned when talking about the freshman earlier i i love him he was one of my favorite players in this class uh because of the way he approaches the game he's been called a dog by multiple people he doesn't seem to mind that though he he, he embraces that uh he said he likes to play like Wolverine. I told him once I look like Wolverine. He agreed. Uh, but but uh, more important for this game, I believe in the beginning of the week, he was wearing number one, which implied that he was going to be on the scout team, uh, which kind of indicates he's not going to play a ton uh, on Saturday. But the last two days I've seen him for sure. That was him wearing his number 36, I believe it is. He's wearing his normal jersey number. Maybe he's integrated into the game plan a little bit more. How about that? Interesting. I'd like to see him out there. Can we, uh, one thing Chris kind of hinted at a little bit was setting the edge. It's going to be important for Dennis Briggs. Mm -hmm. UVA has a really athletic quarterback, Bryce Perkins. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it was a talking point through the week. Uh, Leonard Warner's comments, I'm going to read them real quick. And I know this is something that the fan base got riled up over. Uh, We'll provide context in a minute. but, But so this is what Leonard Warner was asked about Bryce Perkins. He said, Obviously, he is a pretty good runner, but I don't think we are going to have too much trouble uh, with him. His voice didn't break like that when he was talking. That's mine. Uh, we ha- we have a good game plan built up. I think we have a pretty good plan for controlling him. Uh, I think that's... I hope so. I mean, well, yeah, you would think so. I, I do think that the fan base is uh, hyper aware of any kind of sound bites that just don't come off as very clean right now. I, for one, don't think that Leonard Warner meant it as a slight against against Bryce Perkins. I keep wanting to call him Bryce Petty. I don't think he meant it as a slide against against Perkins, uh, but I do think he could have chosen his words a little bit more carefully. I don't know if that's fair or not, uh, but but certainly it did come off as kind of dismissive to a, a guy who's won a pretty good quarterback and very productive this past year for Virginia and to uh, a guy who plays on a defense that that hasn't really stopped anyone yet. Uh, and the, both those teams are expected to be higher or were lesser quality than what Virginia's expected to be. Chris, did, did you 
take issue with with Warner's comments? I mean, I heard him say them in the moment. I was like, hey, uh, like I, <laughs> yeah, I kind of hesitate. I mean, Bryce Perkins is a guy who rushed for a thousand and threw for three last year. Or I'm sorry, over the last fifteen games, so a little bit of this year too. He's super productive. I just right now, I don't think FSU's defense needs to fire off any ammunition that the opposing teams can use. And I, I don't know if he meant it that way. And we're we're hyper analyzing everything at this point because that's where we are with this program. So I'm not too worried about, it. but Leonard Warner needs to make sure he plays well in that. There's not a picture of Bryce Perkins running around him and breaking off something big because in this day of social media, it's not going to go well for him. Do we want to talk? That's what I, I, I always kind of think of when guys make a certain comment sometimes, especially about an opposing player, like don't get fooled by that guy. Like don't, don't let him turn you into something you don't want to be because this day and age you're going to hear, it. you're going to hear it from more than just a couple people, you know, hit me in the ribs and let me know about it. social media is such a culprit with that, that it's just not going to go away. So. Yeah. We saw what happened with, uh, with Trey McKitty standing in the opposite direction with that blew up into, you're right. Everyone's kind of hyper-focused on, on all the wrong right now with Florida state and in context is all. It was a 10 yard play. Sinone. 11, 10 11. yard play. 11. <laughs> do you want to explain, do you want to explain how I got sassed by KB Chris, or do you want to just let that go? I feel like I got I sassed. I, I was, I think I was talking to Jay Black when you were talking to Kendall. <laughs> I'm like one of the few people defending that play, and I asked KB about it, and and uh, he, he wasn't a huge fan of the question. We'll just leave it that way. Uh, but he knew, sure as hell knew how many yards they got. Uh, do we have anything else on this game before we take a break and, and talk about Jim Levitt? Anything else on this, Josh? I know you were looking at some big picture things. I want to make sure I'm giving you you you, uh, your, you your platform to to uh, uh, wax poetic with your with your hot takes. No, I feel good about everything we've said. Let's get to the break. Talk about Levitt on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. And uh, guys, Jim Levitt. Jim Levitt is at Florida State. I saw him today. I didn't know it was him at first uh, because I only saw his backside, and I don't know what Jim Levitt's backside looks like. Uh, But but confirmed that he is indeed uh, here at Florida State. He is... Uh, coaching up the defense or at least evaluating watching the defense he can't technically coach him during practice josh has a good article on the on the can and can't do's for jim levitt uh fellas do you uh i'm trying to think of the right place to start here well how about a, a crappy pun do you like it or do you love it the addition of, of jim levitt <laughs> well you know i'm a big fan of jim levitt so <laughs> 
Oh, Brandon. Uh, Chris, I think Chris said it best in, in one of the threads. FSU with Jim Levitt is better off than FSU without Jim Levitt. But this is not a cure-all to FSU's woes on defense. I mean, this isn't going to this, you know, this is a move that's being made mid-season. We see a lot of these guys get hired on as at Alabama or Auburn or Tennessee and some of these other coaching staffs that load up on off-field personnel. Well, they do it, you know, in the spring or even during the summer where these analysts can kind of get to know the program, watch film of all the teams that they're going to face over the summer, you know, watch it, get ready for these teams. So Levitt's coming in basically after week three. I mean, yeah, he was at practice today, but for all intents and purposes, he's starting like week four of the, of the FSU season. So um, I think his presence there is going to be welcomed by Willie Taggart. Um, I, I can't say that Harlan Barnett won't necessarily feel the same, but Taggart's the head man. It's his defense, and he's called the shots. That that's the interesting dynamic here, right? Is uh, is Jim Levitt comes in as a guy with a lot of experience oh, yeah. as a defensive coordinator, and and Harlan Barnett uh, is clearly someone that we we think is on the hot seat, uh, for lack of a better phrase. His job's very much. Hey, it ain't just us, Brandon. When this no. news hit last night, <laughs> I got a I got texts from. A couple college coaches. Some one of them. The first one I got was just the eyes emoji with a screenshot of the tweet of the breaking news and um, people. Was, you know, was it Safed? Was it Safed Dean doing the eye emoji that sent it to you? Oh, you said a coach. Never mind. Uh, it was a coach. A uh, coach in the Big Ten. Uh, no names. Oh. But um, oh. yeah, I mean everybody's watching this move. It's no secret FSU's defense is struggling. It's no secret that Willie Taggart tried to hire Jim Levitt once already when he arrived at Florida State. And it's no secret that they're running a defense that fits Jim Levitt better than it fits Harlan Barnett. So <laughs> I do, I do want to get into that. Uh, but first, Chris, did you did you see the the comments that that Willie had today on the addition of Jim Levitt and kind of as it applied to Harlan? I, I asked because I asked Willie twice the first two questions about Jim Levitt. First, just about the hire. I wasn't sure if he could even talk to him or not. So I asked it very meekly at first. Surprise, surprise. And then. And then the follow-up was Jim Levitt and his scheme and, and what he's familiar with and how that could help them. Uh, but Willie brought up Harlan both times unsolicited and, and thinking that could help Harlan out. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, he said that Harlan was excited. He thought it would help the football team. And I, I think Harlan's a guy that we all understand is a very honorable person. He's a he's a man that wants to win. I'm sure he's not feeling real good about himself these days with the fact that the defense has been woeful. Um, but he wants them to be better. And if it takes adding another brain in the box with him watching it, helping an extra set of eyes and they get better. I think he'll be happy with the result. And I'm sure it's uncomfortable as hell. I mean, uh, just real quick, Chris, Jim can't be in the box, right? Just to make sure cause someone's going to yell at you. I'd rather it be me. Jim can't be in the box during games or can he? Josh, that was were... Josh's article. What did Josh's article say? Yeah, I'm trying to get clarification on that. I was told. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I derailed. Oh, I thought we. Well, had no, no, no. I was told that they can have one on field, one non on field coach in the box at a time. Now FSU has been using GA, right? Uh, Bryles GA in the box. Uh, well, yeah. Mar- yeah. Well, no, so, I thought Mark I was down there last week. Uh, it's been mixed up so much. I know Joe Joe Bowen was down. On the field this past week, I know that Sanford Samuels was on the field this past week. Right, um, there's different uh, it keeps combinations that they can use, and at this point, it's kind of going to be a week to week thing. But a lot of defensive analysts um, don't necessarily travel. Now, that might be a different case with Jim Levitt, 
Well, he did say that he wasn't sure if Jim would travel or not when he was asked today. Okay. Yeah. Or he, he didn't so, give a very clear answer. A lot of times analysts will maybe be on the sidelines for home games, but they're very limited. And you can read the article like Brendan said. Sorry, Chris, yeah, I cut you off. Go it, ahead. No, it's all good. I, I think it's good to clarify that point. Um, the second comment by Taggart was essentially that Barnett could lean on and talk to uh, Levitt about, you know, what they see on the film, what they've learned in practice, what Levitt's been able to recognize by watching it. It's uncomfortable. You know, Harlan Barnett's a super competitive guy as a player, as a coach. That's who he is. But their defense Bank stick. They know their defense thinks, and they're trying to fix their defense. And I think he's willing to put that competitiveness to the side and, you know, welcome a guy who's very experienced, very good coach, who's had success at multiple stops and done in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. You know, it's good to have smart, intelligent people in the room. And Jim Levitt is that for a defense. He's a guy that they need. They got better on defense by hiring Jim Levitt. Not that it's some godsend or mythical figure that's going to suddenly make them drastically better overnight. But when they're watching them and they're trying to figure out why are we doing this wrong, how can we do this better? Jim Levitt's a guy who has a lot of experience with those two questions when watching film. If Jim Levitt was a, a magical figure, what like or mythical figure, like what would he be? A unicorn? Something something glowing. I, something glowing and shiny, I, I, is how I envisioned it. I did not prepare for this question <laughs> during the pre-show. It would be a centaur. But why? <laughs> why? Half bull, half man. You know, because he's the head. Oh, USF. USF. I don't think there were bowls, but anyways, uh, this is my fault. <laughs> this conversation's derailed, and I'd take full responsibility. The the interesting thing, uh, in addition to uh, the dynamic of of Jim Levitt working with Harlan Barnett and Jim Levitt having coordinator experience, and uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Like Jim Levitt was a top, if not the top, of Willie Taggart's wish list when he was trying to complete his staff initially. I remember being told by someone at the time that, that had direct knowledge of the hiring situation that, that FSU very much so wanted, or sorry, Willie Taggart very much so wanted Jim Levitt to come with him from Oregon, but Oregon wasn't going to let that happen. Oregon Oregon was still, and Phil Knight particularly, was still kind of salty over the way Willie Taggart left and, and using, uh, I forget if it was a booster or a team plane or something like that on a recruiting trip. And, and during that recruiting trip, uh, basically negotiating with Florida State uh, and hence uh, – they want to make life difficult to to not make it easy for Willie Taggart to bring on Jim Levitt. And they gave him more than a million dollars a year to to coordinate the defense. And that was after he wanted the head coaching job at, at Oregon and went to Mario Cristobal. That dynamic ended up not working well. Oregon buys out Levitt, makes him a free agent, essentially, with, with some caveats. But but so my point in saying all this is this is the guy that Willie initially wanted is everything that we've heard and all that intel is that Willie wanted him. Uh, Harlan Barnett was like second or third on that list. That kind of creates a weird dynamic in my mind. And then two, uh, FSU goes ahead and, and Josh, I want to get your thoughts on this. FSU goes ahead and changes its defensive scheme this offseason. Harlan's run a 4-2-5, 4-3, kind of a hybrid with, with how you use that the outside linebacker, but basically an attacking 4-3 defense at Michigan State. That's what he's always coordinated. Not that he doesn't have experience in some other defenses, but that's what he's always called since he's been the co-defensive coordinator. They make a wholesale change to this multiple front. We saw that against Boise State, them go 3-4. We saw this past week against ULM, them go 4-3. Uh, that's very much so what Jim Levitt does, right? That's his kind of deal as he runs that 3-4 hybrid defense. Jim Levitt was around in the spring uh, for about a week or so, I believe, and, and he, at least our belief is, helped helped give instructions on how to install that scheme. You go Consult. Coach, consult. 
consult. I'll, I'll let you take it from here. I'll let the adult share ideas. Handle it. You know, that's what coaches do. Like, I don't um, think that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, the the defense was a disaster last year, and under Willie Taggart at Oregon, Jim Levitt had things under control. Um, Taggart was there to watch, you know, uh, that scheme, and from everything that I reported, and you know, heading going back to an article that I wrote in mid November. Um, Taggart was going to have this conversation with Harlan Barnett after the season about switching schemes. So I don't believe that this is a scheme that Harlan Barnett came to Willie Taggart and said, Hey, I've never coached this, but I, what do you say? We give this a, a whirl. Uh, I think this is more of Willie Taggart saying, Hey, this was effective for me at Oregon. Let's run it. And now you see why Jim Levitt's being brought in because he was kind of the mastermind. He was the expert behind what they did at Oregon. And uh, he's available. What other? It's a perfect fit for for Levitt, for Taggart, for FSU. Not for Harlan um, Barnett, probably. But not right? necessarily Harlan <laughs> Barnett. No, because he's still the man that's getting paid nine hundred thousand dollars to call the plays. So even if you have Jim Levitt there, he's not. You know what? How much of his input is actually going to affect play calling um, and in-game adjustments, those sorts of things. So. We'll see whether he's not a defensive analyst or just the next DC, you know, in waiting. Chris, I heard I, you have I some very little, important news. I, yeah, I, go ahead. I did a little digging while uh, you guys were having that back and forth. Breaking. I found a late 2018 article where Big 12 Commissioner Bob Balsby aired a concern when he chaired the NCA uh, Oversight Committee back in 2017. Basically, it, it's unclear, like most NCA rules, God bless them. There's a limit on headsets, 20 per team on the sideline. That limit was designed to help keep analysts out of the box upstairs and out of the coaching, but it does not definitively say that they're not allowed up there. So that's one of those things I can add to that. Here's how it goes, Chris. The 20 headsets go to um, 15 coaches. That includes on-field coaches, head coach, and GA. Uh, Four headsets go to the players. And then there's one headset that's still available to give to an off-field personnel, possibly a Jim Levitt, but it could go to anybody. Josh, knowing that off the top of his head is perhaps the most remarkable thing that's ever been uttered on this stupid podcast. (laughs) (laughs) How did you know that? That wasn't planned at all. (laughs) Chris dug it up. I knew he was going to mention it. I didn't know you were. What? (laughs) I always surprise you guys sometimes. Every now and then, the the wife dresses up in a little lingerie and surprises you. What? Sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, uh, but what were we talking about? We were talking about, <laughs> I like that Chris also <laughs> took the time to dig up the most minute thing that was possible when we're talking about big picture, uh, coaches losing jobs, whatnot. Chris goes against clarification on that point. That was talked about five minutes ago. Uh, basically, the dynamic with with Jim Levitt running – we're not running. God, see, I'm just I'm, I'm stirring the pot there with Jim Levitt having a very, very detailed understanding of the defense that Florida State is trying to run. One that maybe isn't a organic fit for Harlan Barnett. Uh, seemingly, it's something that Willie Taggart uh, wants from his defense. Uh, we've man, Willie Taggart is at least helping call plays right now on defense. I'm not saying he's dialing it all up. That That's not what I'm trying to say. He's getting signals in there and he's directing things on defense as well. So him getting a little bit of help from Jim Levitt, I guess, was pretty sensible, right? Yeah. Right. I, I think anytime you can hire a 40-year coaching veteran who's worked at all levels and has recently been involved in the college game, you do it. Like To me, that's a no-brainer. And when it's a guy that could step into a role if you do have to make a change because the defense doesn't improve, that's an added bonus. And I think that's what Jim Levitt is. 
Yeah, and to, to go along with that, I think at now Florida State does have a viable option if they are to make a midseason change at D.C. Um, I'm still not saying I expect that to happen. I'm just saying that if the defense doesn't improve, say it gets worse, you know, they, they get blown out on the road by 30 and, and they go down that path that we kind of saw last year. I think now you have a viable option if you want to make a change and, you know, before the end of the season in Jim Levitt. All right. Enough Levitt talk. I think we all love it more than we hey. love it. Leave it. No, wait, like per, it. Per, per FSU, Levitt can attend games in an official capacity, but he cannot be in the coaching box. All right. So there's Clarity. clarification. Clarification. But he could still wear a headset. Even if he's not in the box, he, he could wear a headset on, on the sideline. Right, he could be on the sideline, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think he could actually coach guys up on the sideline. But I, I think we all know there's some liberties that are that are often taken there. I was Mickey Andrews was, was definitely being hands on last year uh, in kind of a similar role. So, all right, enough of that. We all we all love it more than we like it. And I think it's a good move for Florida State in the long run. I don't want people to blow it out of proportion. I think that's this this magical fairy dust where this this half man, half bull centaur hybrid thing that Josh has created that doesn't really exist. Uh, it's going to fix everything, but it's, it's an interesting development. I think it adds options for Florida state down the road. I think it's ultimately a really good thing to have. Uh, what I want to do is tease tomorrow. We are going to have our staff predictions. Josh, do you want to know something pretty cool? Chris and I, because we're both synced up, uh, have correctly predicted in both games, the exact amount of points Florida State's going to score. It's pretty neat, right? I, I'm, yeah, I'm blown away by you two every week. Unfortunately, we've also <laughs> we, we've also we've also been off on what the other teams are going to score too, <laughs> because the defense has uh, been abysmal so far. So uh, check out the staff predictions because we're all 500 right now, and this is a make or break game for us two guys. We're gonna this is gonna be sink or swim. Do you guys have any idea of, of who you're? What you're leaning with? Are you going to FSU? Are you going to Virginia? Are we going to tease it for tomorrow? What's up? Uh, I was running some numbers this afternoon, and um, you know, it doesn't look as bad for Florida State as I thought it did. So I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not picking oh. the upset yet. But Oh, it's a tease, though. Yeah. People are going to have to check check it out. All right. All right. Yeah, F- I like FSU, it. I'm picking Virginia to win, but oh, FSU has a shot. FSU needs to score early and put the pressure on Virginia because Virginia doesn't want to play a fast game. I think Virginia would much rather play a very slow, methodical game on offense. So I think it would be beneficial for FSU to get up, you know, touchdown 10, 14 points and kind of force UVA out of their comfort zone. I will say, you know, everybody thinks all the pressure is on FSU because FSU desperately needs a win. But Virginia is also in territory they haven't really been in under Bronco. And sometimes that's very tough, especially for a team that's fairly young like they are. Okay. You have to go pick up your kids from school, right? No, Stop. they're gone. Oh, what? What, what do you mean? What, they're elaborate. They're, oh. <laughs> they're camping for the weekend with my wife. I can't read a lot while I go Great. to Virginia. So Crazy. they're on a bus going to Umatilla, Florida right now. All right. <laughs> I don't know how to end the podcast. I, uh, thanks for listening, guys. This is just weird. All right. Bye, guys.